The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we began this series a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we spent a, fear, a fair amount of time, not a fair amount of time, that doesn't even make sense. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time explaining the title. Uh, we've called this series Up Close and Personal, and that has a lot to do with the life and leadership style of the Apostle John, who is the author of this book. Uh, first of all, just from his, his life, and, and more, most importantly, his life with Jesus, uh, John, along with James and Peter, was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. And there's all kinds of uh, stories throughout the Gospels that shows us that um, he was set apart along with James and Peter uh, and really discipled by the Lord in a, in a very intimate way, uh, oftentimes referred to as, as a friend of Jesus. And so um, not that that puts anything he would say or write above any of the rest of the scriptures. However, it just makes me pay attention. Somebody that spent that much time in the presence of the master was that, had that intimate relationship with him. It makes me want to pay attention to what he has to say. Uh, and he had an up-close and personal relationship with Jesus. Secondly, we see as we look at John's writings, whether it's uh, the book of John or uh, the letters 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, we see that John writes with a He's a pastor over people, a leader over God's people, and we see that he writes with a very fatherly and a very affectionate tone that uh, it comes through in his language. He'll, he'll often refer to those that he's writing to as beloved, or he'll call them, he'll say, little children, and then give them a command. And um, I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. I think for me, it's, it's a lot easier for me to receive encouragement or rebuke from somebody that I'm very sure loves me. If I know they love me, then I know that what they're saying to me is out of their concern for me, not because they've judged me harshly or they have some ulterior motive. And John just, in his writing, it, it exudes that he had this, this personal relationship with those that he led, and he seems to be that type of guy. And so that's why this series uh, is called Up Close and Personal. Uh, and this week we're going to read verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, and we're just going to see together what the Lord speaks to us, Okay. So let's do that together. First uh, John, chapter one, starting in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We'll come back up and we're going to start by dealing with verse 5. It says that this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, Albert Einstein once said that for the rest of my life I want to reflect on what light is. Uh, the nature and behavior of light still holds mysteries uh, that science is yet to unlock and maybe never will. Uh, what we do know is that uh, very few life forms can survive without light. Uh, and even those few that are thought to be able to do that, that they benefit indirectly from light. And so there's ecosystems that have been found at the bottom of the ocean so deep that light can't penetrate, and they live off the, the chemical reactions and thermal energy that comes up out of the earth. But even those ecosystems are thought to feed off of animals that at some point benefited from photosynthesis, which obviously comes from sunlight. And so uh, light is crucial for life. And um, what we have to understand from this text right off the bat is uh, that light is not God. The scripture says that God is light, but we need to understand that light is not God because somebody could read that and in a maybe drastic and potentially overdramatic misunderstanding, you know, if, if somebody said, well, God is light, but they flipped those words and thought, well, that means light is God, you, you could end up at home, um, you know, taking down all the lampshades and building little altars to the light bulbs 
you know, and, and, and declaring your allegiance to them if light is God. That's not what's being said here. That's not what the Scriptures is telling us. Uh, what we see here really um, is because God is light and light is God are different. That's the point I'm making that I want you to see. Uh, what, what we are seeing here is God getting down on our level like a father, like a good father does with their children to explain something that we could probably never fully grasp. God does that often with deep spiritual things. He'll use an analogy or example to help us understand. Uh, to give you an example of that, just if you think about this, if one of my kids came and asked me, Daddy, what is light? There's a few different ways I could go with that, right? My daughter's three. Son, Max isn't asking any questions yet. He's grunting when he's out of food. That's about all the communication we get from him. Uh, and if you've seen him, you know that that's as true a thing as will be said today. Um, but let's say Lucy, my three-year-old, came up and said, you know, Daddy, what's, what is light? Uh, there's a couple ways I could answer that. I could say, well, light is electromagnetic radiation, uh, and it's emitted and absorbed in little packets called photons, and uh, it has the properties of both waves and particles, and that's commonly referred to as wave-particle duality. What do you think, hon? Right? I could do that, or I could say, sweetie, light is what God made so that we can see. The second answer is a lot less information, but it's a lot more helpful. Because the first answer is going to leave her with a similar look to what many of you had. So, um, yay science, right? Uh, <laughs> I can tell we've been hanging out on the Nova channel a whole lot. Not really. Uh, so, as you can see, uh, God does this with us. And when describing himself to us, he will use comparison and analogy to help us understand. When he says, I'm light, he's trying to teach us something about him. Uh, and so we can, we can look at light. And, and the light that we observe in the physical world, um, you know, like that, God is the sustaining force for all of life. I could say it this way. If there is no God, there is no light, right? Because he created it. If there is no God, there is no light. If there is no God, there is no life, period. Uh, God is a creator of all things, light included, which is needed for life, but even life itself comes from God. Um, the amazing physical properties of light would allow us to go much deeper with the truth of this analogy. There's a lot of reasons why I think, and it's cool when the Bible does this, uh, and when we see that um, things written thousands of years ago don't conflict with what modern science finds, it's really cool to see that. Uh, and this is one of those times, there's so many reasons why God being referred to as light makes sense. Um, but for today, we're just going to stick close to the main point that's being made here in verse 5. Here's, here's what I think John is trying to get across to us here uh, through saying that the, the, the message I announced to you is that God is light. Physical light is a pure form of energy. It has no mass, and so it's unable to be mixed or diluted by anything. Right? Is physics class coming back? Anybody? I got, I got a couple closed eyes, a couple confused eyes, and two nodding heads. So, good. Uh, physics is fun. So, it has... <laughs> It's a pure form of energy, has no mass, it's unable to be mixed or diluted by anything. God is like that, right? He's completely pure and holy. He's unable to be tainted or stained by darkness or evil in any way. He's always and only good, perfect, magnificent, and glorious. He's not able to, no outside force can come and change God. He's totally pure. Light is like that. Now, some could mistakenly believe here <clears throat> that there's a contradiction uh, with what Jesus said to his disciples in the book of Matthew. He said to them, you are the light of the world. You remember Jesus saying that? He said that in Matthew. He said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And the, the problem with that is in, in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And here in 1 John, it says that God is light. So what have we done here? Have we found the one contradiction that those who oppose the Scriptures have been looking for to undermine the authority and validity of the Scriptures? Did Jesus get confused about who the light is? Which one is it? Are we as God's people the light of the world, like it says in Matthew, or is King Jesus the light, as John would tell us? The answer is yes. The answer is both. 
What is critical to understand is that God is the source of all light and goodness and love. And we can only provide light to the world as reflectors of his. As the moon provides no light of its own, but only reflects the radiance of the sun, so we are not the source of light, but we reflect its warmth and beauty to those around us. Um, some of you don't like astronomy very much, and the moon thing just did nothing for you, so let's, let's try something else. Everyone likes mirrors, right? So let's just think about it like this. As awkward as it would be, just think about you wearing a mirror around all day. If I, if I had a chain, I could hang this around my neck. Just imagine me, be, you know, be kind of like some of the oversized things that, uh, <clears throat> you know, the homies wear, uh, big gold chains and stuff, but we could just make it a mirror. But let's just imagine this, this became a part of your daily garb. And, uh, you know, he, here's, here's how this works. See, light, light can come and hit this. I, I make no light of my own, right? Clearly. Um, except for maybe, you know, the pasty whiteness that I've been cursed with because of Scandinavian descent. So other than that, I, that you know, that's translucent. I'm not making my own light. However, if I had this mirror on me all the time, I could, I could reflect light. You liking that? You liking that shot in the eyes? I'm going to find someone to sleep and wake them up. Um, but you see how I could do that. And so just I want you to imagine yourself all the time as having this, this mirror on you. And what we want to do is as God, the glory of God's light comes, uh, we should be reflecting that down to the people just like I just did to you guys. My question to us today is how is that going? You know, is our, is our mirror doing this deal? Are we daily moment by moment, reflecting God's goodness, love, and glory. The light of God's goodness, does it reflect from us? Uh, what is it that we're reflecting to the world? Well, you know, I'm having a bad day. Can I get a pass? Here's the thing. We're talking about eternity hanging in the balance. So you've got to shelf the bad day. You've got you to trust the Lord and, and find joy in the moment and be ready, man, because you don't know who you're walking next to. I'm struggling, I'm having a bad day, I don't feel like being on my game. Whatever our excuses are, we should have that mirror on all the time. Because God's glory needs to be reflected in this world. It's dark out there, is it not? You understand what I'm talking about? We need more sources of light being reflected out in this world. King Jesus must be glorified. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 6 and 7 together. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So first we must need to, we got to see and look together that to walk in the light as he is in the light is not setting an expectation to be perfect like he is. I've heard this taught wrongly, that people will say, well, what that verse says is you got to walk in the light like, like God walks in the light, like, like Jesus is light. And so there, he's perfect, and so that's a call to perfection. Um, here's the problem with that. It, it'd be, I don't know about you, but I realize I'm not gonna make, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I'm, I've had enough life experience to realize um, you know, I'm probably going to make it through an hour uh, keeping that perfect you know, gold medal, not sinning, not even in thought. That's, that's probably not going to happen. And so that could really cause me to despair and just give up. I think sometimes that's what people do. They, they don't understand grace. They don't understand the gospel. And they think that what's being asked of them here is you need to be just like God. Walk in the light as he walks in the light. Be perfect. And that's, that's, that'd be discouraging. God's not going to ask you to do something that is completely impossible. Uh, and the end of verse 7 makes it clear that this, what this is is not an impossible call to perfection. Let's look at the end of verse 7 together. It says, If we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So we see that even in, the walk, in, in walking in the light as he is in the light, there's still going to be the redemptive process of repentance and forgiveness happening. And that makes itself even more clear as we go to verse 9. Walking in the light does not mean you're perfect all the time. And so what I don't want you to do is think, I messed up, now I'm not walking in the light, now I'm rejected by Jesus. Actually, as we're going to talk about a little bit more towards the end, this whole thing is getting us to, 
rejoice in the fact that we have the option of repentance and that forgiveness is there for us. Um, we are going to slip up. John makes that very clear throughout this set of verses. So walk in the light, yes, but let's see what that means. It's not a call to perfection, but what is it? I, I see two major components in this set of verses to define what walking in the light is. So this is what John is calling us to. Let's see. First of all, and this may seem self-explanatory or oversimplistic, uh, to walk in the light, don't walk in darkness. I just blow your mind? Write that, make sure you write that down. I don't want you to forget that one. Um, we're in the deep end of the pool now. Uh, I think don't walk in darkness could also be said uh, another way. Do not be self-deceived. Verses 6 and 8, I think, give us both this principle. Uh, and we are all masters, let's be honest, at justifying our sin and disobedience. We all are, are good at playing mental games with ourselves to try to avoid the guilt, shame, and condemnation that comes with disobedience. Uh, in order to do that, pride always comes first because we have to be pretty insolent and pretty ignorant to presume that we can disagree with what God has already decreed. Pride always comes first. Pride is the mother of every sin. I know some of you don't like that. Some of you don't totally believe that, but I'm telling you, keep thinking about it. You can't sin without pride involved because it's pride first that gets you to think that what you think about it might be smarter than what God thinks about it. Right off the bat, we're in trouble. <laughs> we, we, have, we have jumped off, uh, we've jumped off the boat right there. Uh, and then sometimes we begin to really and actually believe the dumb stuff we come up with. To lie and know that you're lying is bad. To go so far that you believe those falsehoods, that's real and utter darkness. So don't be self-deceived. I'm teaching you right now from the book of 1 John how to walk in the light, okay? We said first what it's not. It's not a call for you to be perfect. Here's what it is. Don't walk in darkness. Don't be self-deceived. Don't trick yourself into thinking disobedience to God is okay, that you're the special case. Uh, I've heard people tell me, you know, me and Jesus have a special relationship. No, you don't. You have the same option for relationship with him that everyone else that has these scriptures has. And that's submit to, him, to Christ as Lord and obey him. <laughs> that's the relationship. You're welcome. You don't get to make up special rules. You know? I know your teacher told you you're unique and special and no one else is like you and your mom did too, and that's great. I'm glad. I want, you know, I want you to feel good about yourself, but that doesn't apply here. You and me and everybody else, if we're going to relate to God, we're going to relate to God on his terms. He's king, not me. He's God, not me. He created all things. He's the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. That wasn't me. And when you're that guy, when you're let there be light guy, and let there be this and let there be that, and then all of life comes forth from that, you get to make the rules. And I'm real happy about it because I realize how much smarter, infinitely smarter God is than me. How much more he knows me better than I know me. I know that my emotions can lead me astray. I know that this heart is wicked and will try to lead me out of obedience to God. What I want is for this heart to shut up and for this word to speak loud for my mind to be transformed. Did he say shut up? You're not supposed to say that in church. Yes. If I'd have thought about it, I probably wouldn't have, so as not to offend you, but it happened, so we're going to have to deal with it. If we need to have a meeting afterwards, come and see me. We'll talk about it. Okay? Um, okay, so that's the first component to walking the light. Don't walk in the darkness. <clears throat> I know that was revolutionary. Uh, the second com component to walking in the light is fellowship with one another. Here is the endless cycle that those walking in darkness are doomed to repeat. Listen to me. If, you, if you're going to take notes or remember something, I do want you to hear this because this is inescapable. This is the cycle you will live in if you walk in darkness, as John is telling us here. Sin will lead to shame and guilt. Guilt will lead to secrecy. Secrecy then leads to isolation. Isolation leads to loneliness and more sin. And where did the cycle start? Started at sin. So we're now we're back around this wretched merry-go-round to do it all over again. Sin leads to shame and guilt. Guilt leads to secrecy. Secrecy leads to isolation. And isolation leads to loneliness and more sin. This right here, 
This is why the Lone Ranger, I'm the exception to the rule, everyone in the church is a hypocrite anyways, you know, I don't need to be a part of a church community, sinful and selfish attitude is so harmful. This right here is why it's unacceptable to think that way. And I know some of you have been hurt by church people. I get it. Me too. I'm in your club. However, it doesn't change the terms of walking in the light. Here we have another direct connection between walking with God and walking with his people. Let's look at it again. Let's look at it right in the scriptures so you know I'm not making something happen uh, that isn't really there. Okay? Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, if we're going to do that, there's a direct equal sign. we got a comma, and then it says, this will happen. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, I know uh, with the internet and YouTube and some fancy philosophical dancing, we could make that say something other than it, than it is, but it's pretty plain to me. If we're in the light, what's going to happen, Love City? You're going to be in fellowship with one another. I don't like answering out loud. It makes me nervous. I understand. That's why I did it for you. I only left just a short, awkward pause there, and then I took over. It's because I love you. I don't want you to feel awkward. Okay, so here we have a direct connection between walking with God and walking with his people. You can't, they're inextricable. You can't take them apart, but people always want to. And part of it is because they still like the darkness. And they realize that to walk with God and to walk with his people is going to, that's going to mean, you know, there's going to be people with those mirrors on their chest, and that might shine something on what they're doing, what they're thinking. It might reveal some darkness, and, and they don't like that. That's uncomfortable. Have any of you ever been in a room that was pitch black dark, and then you walked out into the brightest of sunny days? How does that feel? It's disorienting. It's, it can be painful. Uh, it, it, it's uncomfortable at least. And that's what this process can be like. Uh, it, it, this is not unlike the analogy given in John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, the source of life, you're the branches. See, everybody wants to say, I'm connected to Jesus, the vine, but I'm not connected to those other branches. Well, how does that work? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Again, you're trying to make special rules. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a special plant, you know. If, if you're a branch running off a vine, everyone, can, can you do this with me? Let's just mentally think of one, right? You've all seen a vine before, Yes. That's connected to the ground. The nutrients come up through that. It's got branches. If a branch is connected to the vine, what's it also connected to? The other branches, right? And, but but we want to be, be Lone Ranger branch. I'm over here by myself and, and not really connected to any of these other people. And Well, hold on. It doesn't seem the scriptures leave us that option. Why are you hammering this so hard? Because I love you. I want you to walk in the light. I want you to have the blessing of walking in the light. I don't want you to be held down by shame and guilt. I don't want you to be cornered and isolated and lonely and entrapped by your sin. I don't want that for you. I want you to live in the light and have the joy that comes with it. You're going to have to be connected to God's people to do that. There's no way around it, even if you want one. Let's look at verses 8 and 10. We're going to skip nine. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here we see that John is, he's doubled up and he said really the same thing in two different ways. And so that makes me pay attention. And honestly, you you can move up to the top and really he, he kind of says the same thing again. He's saying... If we say that we have not sinned, we're telling God he's a liar and that we're right. We make, his, we, we, we make it clear that his word is not in us. And so here's, here's the deal. Here's what John is telling us. We have sinned. Anybody shocked by that? He's making it clear. He said it twice on purpose. We have sinned. You have sinned. We are imperfect. It's very clear. Now, we can misunderstand this as John wanting to hammer us into the ground with his words. He's repeating himself. He's berating us. He wants to make us vibrantly aware of how dirty and wretched and sinful we are. This is not the main point. This is not what John's trying to do. 
In the same way that the law was a tutor that pointed us to our inescapable need for grace and mercy from Jesus, John is really leading us to the beautiful hope of verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear ones, our hearts should swell with gratitude and rejoicing at this beautiful promise right here. Something we hear, something we could so easily glance over and miss, but this, this is a beautiful and precious promise. See, what's happening here is we're being, we're being promised that God is not like us. He's not prone to base forgiveness on the shifting and changing sands of emotion. If we will walk in the light, if we will walk with each other and we will confess our sins as an outward, repent, uh, as an outward sign of our repentant heart on the inside, he is faithful and just to forgive. He's bound himself by his word. God is not a man that he should lie. And what he said right here is if you'll repent and you'll confess, if you'll confess of your sins that Jesus is faithful, he is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's, it's not going to be a case-by-case basis. Tomorrow you're not going to do the one sin that, that blows this scripture all to pieces. That makes me happy. I'm glad because I'm real prone to mess up. And I know that. And I'm glad that we don't have this system. So many other things could have been added to this. Do you understand how sweet of a deal we have? I mean, to struggle to have gratitude to the God of the universe when there's scriptures like this in the Bible blows my mind. He could have said anything here. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He could have said, if you confess your sins, pay a bunch of money, Go two months without doing the same thing and give a bunch of your time to help somebody else, then I'll forgive you. He could have put, he could, this is God, he could have put all the requirements he wanted on it and he would have been fair in doing so. <laughs> but he said, I, I, just want, I want you to walk in the light. I want you to walk in fellowship with other Christians. I want you to be willing to admit you're wrong. Be willing to admit you're wrong. Repent and I'm going to forgive you. I promise you. God Almighty said, I promise you, that's how I'm going to deal with you. You do this, I'm going to do that. Every time. Every time, without exception. And this encouragement we have, this connection we see between walking in the light and having fellowship with one another, there's, you can't pull those two apart. And, and, and I realize that some of you feel like this, you know, just... I'm riding this pony all the way to death, but I just, I'm so convinced that it's very difficult in everyday life to get to where these scriptures are encouraging us to get. To get to the place where we are in a spot where we're going to open up, be vulnerable, and confess our sins one to another. That's, that's awkward. It's not something that you normally do. It's, it's, like I said, it's uncomfortable. It's just like coming out of that dark room into the brightest sunshine you've ever been into. It's, I mean, it's almost like getting punched in the forehead. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you walk out, it assaults your eyes. It's not, it's not pleasurable. Confessing sin one to another, walking in the light and in openness, not hiding and, and being secretive about your sin, that, that, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to come forth and be open. And this is part of the function and environment that's created in community groups. This is part of why we did it. And you're like, oh, I knew he was going there. Yes, I'm going there. I love you. I want you to walk in the light. I don't want you chained in the darkness. And so, yes, and I know some of you have prohibitive schedules, and we are working on getting more community groups started, but this this coming together and gathering this way, it has, it has function, and there are those that would try to overcorrect and say all you need is something like community groups. 
No, we need this. We need to come together. We need to sing songs together. We need to rejoice in God's goodness. We need to be under the teaching of God's word. We need to rejoice in the promises of God and the scripture. We need to come together and rejoice in the ordinances and taking of communion together, remembering the redemptive power of Jesus on the cross. Yes and amen. This is commanded by God, and I'm real happy about it. But what we need in addition to this is an environment set up specifically to pull you out of the darkness that some of you have become comfortable with. Let your eyes get assaulted by that light. But what happens? You get in that light for a little bit and, and, and it, it stops to be so bad and your eyes adjust. And, and it's amazing because I'm, I'm hearing stories. I had someone tell me this last week. They said uh, they, they had struggled. They, they had fallen. They had sinned. They had disobeyed the Lord in a pretty significant way. And they called me and they were... They were they were walking in the light. They called me to, to let me know, and they said, uh, man, I, I feel so much better because I got to go to a community group last night and tell on myself. And I just felt the weight of that sin that was holding me down, and, and I, all the guilt, and I, just, I was able to leave it there, and, and I felt delivered and freed from it. And some of, you, some of you, you're still holding out on that. And I realize for some of you, you desperately want to be in a community group, and just none of the scheduling works. I, we, listen. It's, it's, it's so important we're going to do whatever it takes that if schedule is what's prohibitive for you, we're going to make something happen because we believe community groups is, is the major function and way that we have for folks to walk in the light. Is it impossible to do it without a community group? No. Is it probable that without the environment created and other people encouraging you to do that in a, in a setting that is... is is built just for it? Is it, is it highly likely that you're going to just come out and, and, and confess sin and be open and be vulnerable? History would tell, uh, for most of us, probably not. But I, I can't tell you enough how important it is to not be stuck on that merry-go-round, that wicked, wretched merry-go-round of sin, leading you to shame and guilt, which leads you to pull back sends you into isolation and then ends up in loneliness and, and more sin again because that's a hopeless situation. Living in the dark alone, <laughs> there's not much hope there. And I've had people communicate to me that that's where they're at, that's where they're feeling, and that leads them to just go ahead and do it again. What's the point? It's dark in here and I'm alone. Nobody knows, nobody cares. So me and my sin are gonna hang out some more. When all the time, when all the time we're invited to come, come walk with King Jesus in love and in light. John's repeated encouragement to not be foolish or self-deceived, but to know that we are often frail and prone to give in to temptation, it is not to lead us to condemnation and hopelessness. It's to lead us to the pure and precious gospel. Romans 8 makes it clear there is... There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I, I've said this a lot, so if you've already, already heard it, please forgive me. But it's really, really important that every person uh, that, that I pastor understands this difference because I think it's, it's something that holds us down and holds us back a lot. There is a very distinct and important difference between conviction and condemnation. And if you don't know that, you won't know which one you're experiencing. And you won't know whether what you're experiencing is from the enemy or from God. Conviction is beautiful. It's a gift. It's, it's much like the nervous system that lets you know that if you were to touch a hot light bulb or a stove, those nerve endings would tell you right away, you need to move your hand. Genius, you're being burned, right? And so, boom, without even thinking about it, that happens. Conviction is the spiritual equivalent of a nervous system. Conviction is God letting us know, if you continue this way, you're headed to destruction. You're headed to more pain. If you continue on this path of disobedience, it will not go good. It's going to go bad. Stop. That's a loving plea from a loving father. Condemnation is it's more of just a hammer that keeps beating on you, letting you know that you screwed up and you're a failure and it's not going to get better, so you should just keep screwing up some more. Conviction will always come with it, a, a biblical answer of how to come up out of it. God will give a way of escape from that sin and from the chains that bind you. And oftentimes it's going to be repentance and confession. That's conviction. Condemnation is just going to have you beat down thinking over and over again how you failed and it's probably not going to get any better. 
if, if that's what you're experiencing, if you've given up and just gone on sinning because you figured, listen, I, I've done it this many times, I've, I've failed this many times, I might as well just keep going, you're experiencing condemnation. You don't have to. You can be free from that, and it's not the truth. You've believed a lie. And I love you, but i got to tell you that. You're deceived. There is always hope. There is repentance and forgiveness waiting for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. Run to him. That's what the prodigal son story is about. We, we think sometimes that Jesus told these parables because he had nothing else to say, and so he told a neat story about a kid. It, it, the kid is me. The kid is you. The father is God. Understand, he sinned. He left. He rebelled. Yes, we are all him. But what we understand is the posture of the father. That's, that's what i got to get you to believe. Father God is not standing there seething in anger, waiting to punish you for what you've done. He punished Jesus and saw it just to allow you to be forgiven because of that finished work. And so now the father is freed to stand on the porch, looking towards the hill, hoping for the day that son or daughter comes home. And in the the story of the prodigal son, the, the father doesn't even wait on the porch. He sees the son coming, here's the language, from far off. And he takes off running to him. His passion and his compassion and love for that lost son compels him to run towards him. Puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. Kills a cow and says, let's have a party. This is God's God's posture towards you. This is what you reject as you continue to stay living in darkness and condemnation. Yes, confession, there's going to be a sting to that. Yes, repentance, admittance that I've been deceived and I've been wrong. Yes, that can sting, but not nearly as bad as the pain of loneliness and isolation, living in darkness, separation from a God who loves you that much. They're not, they're not even on the same plane. Do you hear me? I love you. Don't stay away from him any longer. Not one more minute. Run home. <laughs> He's waiting for you. He really loves you. He's going to restore you. He's going to fix what's broken. And I know for some of you, you don't have very many human relationships that, that have helped you understand this principle. For some of you, most of your human relationships have taught you that trusting people is one of the worst things you can do because that, that leads you to pain. And I, and I understand that for some of you, community groups is difficult because you're going to realize, you realize that that means I'm going to have to trust somebody. I'm going to have to open up and be vulnerable, and I'm going to I'm gonna have to let, let them in. And that's not gone well for you in the past. Can I please talk to you? Can, will you please just open your ears and your heart a little bit? Let me speak to you. Like John pleading with those who he pastored, I'm pleading with you, please, don't live like that. Walk in the light. If you're going to walk in the light, you're going to have to walk with God's people. You can't do it alone. And I love you. And I want you to have the joy of walking with Jesus in the light. And you're going you're to have to open up and trust God's people. And you know what that means? I promise you, I can promise you something. Somebody's going to let you down. You're going to open up and you're going to be vulnerable and somebody's going to let you down. But you know what? You're probably going to let someone down too. And you know what happens when, when, when that whole process works itself out? We see grace, mercy, and redemption in action. We get to live the gospel. We get to forgive each other and love each other, restore each other, and keep pushing each other on towards the goal of building this kingdom. And letting people know that they can get in and be a part of that kind of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And I need you to have confidence in the spirit of God in these people. The the, the Bible tells us that we no longer know each other after the flesh. Listen, I realize in and of myself, I'm a judgmental hypocrite and probably a gossip and a hater and everything else. But Jesus, but he, he came and made me something different. If you can't trust me, fine. Trust him in me. And even in the day I let you down, just forgive me. And I promise to do the same for you. To live in vibrant, authentic community. To live really as a family does, as the people of God are called to. You're lashing your life together with people in such a way that it it does make you vulnerable to being failed and let down. And I realize some of you feel like you've stomached all you can stomach of that. But maybe that's only because you've not seen it within the paradigm and context of grace and mercy and and forgiveness. If you look at it through those eyes, if we realize that our, 
our reticence and our hesitance to trust others, that it, it's not really giving the mercy and grace that we've been forgiven. Some of us, we struggle through being able to accept mercy and forgiveness from God, but then there's a whole other struggle in then being able to give that freely to others. But it has to be, it has to be an outworking of, of what God has done in our lives. If God has forgiven me, my God in heaven, if he's been able to overlook my transgressions, if he's been able to trade me my wretchedness and my failings, if he's been able to trade me my, my, my rebellion and the hate that used to reside within my heart, if he let me come and trade him all that for love and joy and peace and family that's tied together with blood eternal. I'm not talking biological bloodlines here. I'm talking tied together with the family of God for eternity. He let me in. I know how undeserving I was of that. We all are. You were, and yet. And this is what has to cause us to have love and compassion and forgiveness when others in the family of God let us down. It will happen. But it's an experience to walk out the same process that God himself walked out with us. Extend mercy, extend forgiveness. It's what love's really about. I told someone this week, I looked at him in the eye because they've been hurt enough in their life that they live like I used to live, and I can speak from very clear experience on this, and I know some of you can too. I lived, I lived like this with everybody. I kept you at least this far out, and if I could get my arm longer, I'd have kept you farther out. Because I had made a logical decision at some point that I was no longer going to trust people or let them close enough to me to hurt me. If I kept them out here, it doesn't matter what they did because it wasn't going to hurt me in here. And I thought I was done having that. And that's where this person was at. And I looked at him. And I made him look me in my eye and I said, listen to me. I love you. You believe that? They said, yeah. I said, you trust me at least a little bit? Yeah. I said, okay, well, here's what I need you to trust. I'm going to fail you if I haven't already. And you're going to fail me. But that doesn't mean that when it comes down to it, we're not back-to-back ready to fight for each other. See, I hear too much, well, this person did this, or in general, church people are hypocrites, and, and you know, this person said something hurtful to me. Yeah. You know what? We're a bunch of broken folks that, have been bound together by a faithful Savior. And we're still, all of us are still dealing with stuff, and we got to give room for that to happen. But that's the invitation, and that's the beauty of this thing. Churches aren't a place for everyone that's got their stuff together to come and show it off. It's a hospital for sick folks. I was the sickest of them all. Believe that. But today I get to I get to walk around with the cure. And he, and he trusts me with that. As broke as I was, he lets, me, he lets me go and pass out the cure. And that's trust and faith in Jesus. That's reconciliation and redemption through his finished work on the cross. And that's what John's leading us to. He's leading us to verse 9. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And if you're not happy about that, you need to read it some more. Because I need that. Here's something. I need that. I'm going to need that today before I go to bed. I'm going to need it tomorrow and the next day. I need to know he's faithful and he's never coming off that promise. He's faithful and just. He's going to forgive me of my sins. He's going to wash me clean again. All those stains that I get on myself. He's going to make me white as snow again. Let me stand with him in the light. Actually, he's not going to let me stand in the light. He's going to make me walk in the light. Jesus isn't about us just standing and basking. He's like, we're going to do something. He saves us to a mission. He saves us to a purpose. He might let you stand there and bask for just a moment, but he's not going to leave you alone very long. He'll start calling you forward, calling you up. It's time to get something done. We've got a kingdom to build. We've got people to let know about this hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What... what if, if I believe 
that this whole set of scriptures, if I believe 5 through 10, as much as it tells me over and over again, you have sinned. Don't lie to yourself. You've sinned. Quit deceiving yourself. You've sinned. Don't try to say you haven't sinned. John says it over and over again. If what I believe he's trying to do there is lead me to an, an inescapable understanding that I am above all in desperate need of the truth of the gospel, I want to make sure I let you know what I mean when I say that. The gospel is... The first part is what John reiterates over and over again here. That though God is perfect, he is light, that we are not. But what is required, see, you can't, you can't mix, you can't, light is, it, it, it has, it's, not, it's not gas, it's not, it doesn't have a physical form, it has no mass. You can't, like liquids, pour it and mix it together. Light can't mix with dark, light can't mix with anything else. God cannot Holy God can't be mixed with the sin that mars and stains us. And so something had to be done. We are all imperfect. And that's not a mass excuse, that's a mass condemnation. Just because we're all imperfect doesn't mean we all get a pass. Though some people say it that way. <laughs> hey, nobody's perfect, man. What are you trying to ride me for? Yeah, I know, brother. We're all in deep trouble. We're all separated from God by sin. That's why the good news is so good. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life that none of us could. He did. He didn't sin. He's perfect. And then God saw fit to let him step in, take the punishment all of us should have had, and then he would call us righteous because of that. That Jesus could spill his blood, that would pay the price, and if we would... Not that we would work to earn it, not that we would do something like Jesus did, but simply that we would trust that the finished work of Jesus would cover us and would save us from our sin. What a deal. And this is what God offers. We are saved because of the redemptive power of the blood of Christ. Not only did he die, but he rose three days later, proving that everything he said was true. That he was the Savior King, not a charlatan or a liar. And the question is not, what, do you, what will you do? Will you do better? Will you quit doing what you do? Will you start doing what you don't do? The question is, will you believe that right there? Will you believe the truth about Jesus? This is what makes the difference. And if you'll believe that he's Lord and you'll treat him as such, you'll be saved from your sins, man. You'll be able to walk in the light, walk with God's people, have hope and joy, not just in this life, but for eternity. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what we invite you to today. You may say, I don't, I don't know what that means. Here's the deal. John spelled it out for us really clear. Are you willing to admit you're wrong? Are you willing to admit you're imperfect? Are you willing to admit you've fallen short of perfection? Are you willing to confess that? And are, we, are you willing to trust that Jesus will forgive that like he said he will? That's the bottom line. Will you... Ask God to forgive you. Will you ask him to be your Lord? What the scriptures tell us he, he does then is he comes and changes us all the way on the inside. He takes our wretched, sinful, rebellious heart and he changes it. He makes us a new creation. And then what starts to happen is our desires begin to change. See, some of you are worried. I, I, I know that some of you have held back from committing to Christ because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You've seen hypocrisy and it makes you want to puke. And I understand that because hypocrisy is disgusting. But I need you to understand that for you to put trust and faith in Jesus today and not be perfect the very minute afterwards is not hypocrisy. That's called sanctification, and it's a process we're all in. You'll not be perfect. That's not what walking in the light is about. It's about being willing to, on a daily basis, throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Jesus and trust that he'll be faithful and just to forgive you. It's about believing trusting in faith that Jesus will do what he said he'd do. That's where we're at. You can put faith in Christ today. I invite you to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you for these verses. I thank you for calling me out. I thank you, Lord, for uh, inspiring John to repeat himself over and over again, to, to tell me, to implore me, to encourage me, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. 
I thank you, Lord, that in reading these scriptures, I've, I've, I've realized more so my tendency to do that. To be willing to trick even myself, to buy my own lies. Sometimes it's not even that the enemy has to come and try to spin some web of deceit. Sometimes I do a good job deceiving myself. And Lord, I just ask by your Holy Spirit that you would help all of us to be more aware when we're falling into that trap. Lord, I ask you to increase our level of discernment. Lord, let us have a love and passion for the truth. And Lord God, I ask you to continue what you've already begun in this body, knitting together people's lives in a real and vibrant way. I ask you to continue to take down the walls that people have built around their heart to try to protect them from the pain of relationship. Lord, I know, I remember, I remember so clearly what it felt like to be lonely and isolated because I'd been hurt too many times to trust anybody. Lord, I remember the joy of you coming. <laughs> Whether I wanted you to or not, you came and brick by brick, you took those walls down. And you taught me to really love people and to trust again. And even though, Lord, I've, I've been let down because of that, because I've opened up my heart to people, Lord, you've given me an opportunity to forgive others like you forgave me. And even in that, there's a cleansing and a beautiful process that I get to walk through. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for letting me be a part of it. I thank you, Lord, that me, the sickest of all sinners, that you not only gave me the cure, but you've trusted me to share it with others. God, I'm not worthy. But I thank you that you see fit to do with us what we would have never done on our own. Thank you for that. We give you praise, Lord, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.